Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn in Ephesians chapter 1. As we will look at through his blood, we are now saved. As you're turning there, if you've been visiting with us or want to know more about us or what, what, even, what is a Presbyterian, what species is that, join me after the service over here for the new members class. Love to get to know you better and just let you learn more about us. Um, no obligation whatsoever, just a chance to learn more about Cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read as we are continuing our sermon series on Ephesians, verse 3 through 14. And the reason why I'm reading this whole passage every week is because it's actually one long sentence in the Greek Bible. So it all goes together, but our verses of study will be verses 7 and 8. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, right now, we study your word to the praise of your glory. Give us all wisdom and insight that you've promised to us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most beautiful things about the Bible, and certainly one of the things that I love the most, is how the Bible meets us really where we are. The, the Bible communicates to us in a way that, that we can't understand. It gives us language that we can use. It gives us stories that we can relate to. And this morning, I want you to see that it gives us a metaphor for the gospel that we can understand the riches of God's grace. Last week, we looked at the doctrine of adoption. And we saw how adoption is really is a powerful metaphor for a, a supernatural work that God does in the lives of, of his chosen ones to say, these are now my children. These are my sons and daughters, and they belong to me. And, and we understand adoption, and we, un, we understand from our culture because we know folks adopt, adopted, and we know what that means when God says, I have adopted you. This week, though, we're going to look at another metaphor. Another common word from the marketplace, from everyday life, if you will, and that word is redemption. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul, as we've said for weeks, has taken us on this, 
majestic tour of the sovereign grace of God, and we see these majestic mountains of God's sovereign grace and His love through these doctrines that are taught to us in Ephesians chapter 1. As we've seen these mountaintops of God's love, we've begun to see these spiritual blessings that belong to the church in the Lord Jesus Christ, and how God is using these spiritual blessings, these doctrines to show us his great love and to show us how it is all for his glory and for our good. We have marveled at the doctrine of election or predestination. We have marveled at the doctrine of adoption and we've praised God for his glorious grace to us in Jesus Christ. And we now come to the third spiritual blessing that the Apostle Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 1. And that is the doctrine of redemption. Redemption basically means to purchase from bondage to slavery. It means to redeem someone out of slavery. And again, in Ephesians 1 verse 7, we find this wonderful doctrine. Look there with me. In Him, that is in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This verse is powerful. This verse is amazing. This verse is the heart of the gospel. This verse is one of those statements in God's word where we need to slow down, we need to read it, we need to chew on it, we need to meditate on it, we need to memorize it, we need to know it and see the beauty and the wonder of the gospel here. The forgiveness of sin is given to us by grace through Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones called this verse the very nerve center of the Christian faith. It's the very heart of the gospel. Redemption. God the Father, according to the riches of His grace, And his perfect insight and wisdom, he planned and executed the work of salvation through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood. That statement is full of meaning. And so let's unpack it this morning. Let's look at what is redemption? Why do we need redemption? And how is redemption accomplished for us? What is redemption? Again, another way of commonly putting what redemption is, it's deliverance by a payment. To to redeem something or to redeem someone means it's going to cost you. You're going to have to redeem its value. The Apostle Paul uses this word, redemption, to communicate to the Ephesian Christians and and indeed to communicate to the whole church because this word was a very common word in ancient times in the ancient marketplace. It was a language most commonly or a word most commonly used when it came to the ancient version of slavery. Not all the time, but uh, most of the time, but not all the time. Uh, slavery in the Bible is not hearkening to what we might call plantations slavery that occurred here in America. Uh, In the scriptures, 
most of the time, again, not all the time, slavery took place through conquest. When one nation would conquer another, those members of that nation would become bond servants. They would become, they would become slaves. Or sometimes you were in such poverty, you were in such despair, you would actually sell yourself into slavery. You would give yourself up to slavery so that you would be provided for, so that you would have work. You would become an indentured servant to someone. So with this in mind, redemption, the word that Paul uses here, is to set a slave free. A landowner or a relative might come and say, I want to redeem this person out of slavery. I want to purchase them out of slavery. And so their freedom would be bought through a redemption price. So when the Ephesians read this letter from the Apostle Paul, and they saw this word redemption, this amazing truth that was being given to them in the gospel, their minds would immediately be taken to the marketplace. It would immediately be taken to this idea of slavery. And it immediately would tell them and give them hope that they might have freedom from opposition. They might even be reminded of the land or the nation of Israel who was in slavery in Egypt. And they were redeemed by the Lord their God. They were brought up out of the land of of Egypt. They were saved from their oppression. And so all these wonderful truths would come flooding to the minds of the people as the Apostle Paul used this word, redemption. Paul wanted to now show them that they have redemption. They have freedom in Christ. When we talk about being a child of God, we talk about being his son or daughter, when we talk about being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, all of this is possible because of this lofty and wonderful doctrine, this wonderful spiritual blessing of redemption. The redemption that God has offered to his children. This is the way the Bible often speaks of our salvation. We just sung a bunch of songs. We read a bunch of words from the scriptures that all speak about salvation in terms of our redemption. And the Bible teaches this morning that we all need redemption. You and I desperately need redemption. So why should Christians care about redemption? Why should we care about this? So what? Why do we need redemption? That's the second thing. Before we reach this high, exalted plane of understanding that we are God's elected children, something that must be, must be done first about the problem that gets in the way to our predestined glory. And that problem that gets in the way to our predestined glory as God's chosen one is our sin nature, and in particularly our sins. We are, in fact, sinners. We cannot talk about redemption without talking about a theology of sin. So here you go, preacher, there you go, talking about sin again. That's why I don't like to go to church anymore. They're always talking about sin. 
Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Because since the fall, sin has marred us all. Sin is our great problem. Since the fall of mankind into sin because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, every single human being who has ever been born for all of time is born a sinner. We are all born in the likeness of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We are born into this world as sinners. We are sinners by nature is what the scriptures teach. The scriptures also teach that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and cannot reach the perfection, the holiness necessary to stand before him. But not only are we sinners by our nature, how we show up into this world, we are also guilty before God because we sin every day. We sin in word, thought, and deed. And we even sin by thinking that we don't sin. We are that bad. This is who we are apart from Christ. We must see that sin is a huge problem. Sin is such a great problem that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, had to become a man and deal with this great problem of sin. And so we talk about sin. We make a big deal about sin because it is a problem that must be dealt with. Sin separates us from a holy God. And so you may remember from a few weeks ago, and you'll certainly see here going forward as we take new members in to Cornerstone, as folks want to join and be a part of the body here at Cornerstone. And those of you who are going to come to the new members class, you're going to learn about the first vow that we make. As members. And that vow comes to us in the form of a question Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure? That's, the, that's where we must start first. Do you see that you are a sinner and that you deserve the wrath and displeasure of God because of your sin? We have to start there before we get to the good news. Because the teaching of Scripture and the reason why Paul is preaching on this and giving this high praise to God is because that we are enslaved to our sin. We're in slavery. All of us. We're enslaved to sin. Furthermore, the Bible says we're under the dominion of Satan. We are, in fact, condemned because of this. Furthermore, God is a Three times holy God. God is just and perfect. And therefore, sin cannot and must not be in his presence. There is no possible way to enjoy everlasting life as a child of God without our sins being forgiven. We break God's law every day. That's what says we are forgiven of our trespasses. Our sins must be forgiven. Our sins must be removed so that we can stand before God. We are slaves to sin. We are in bondage to sin. Apart from Christ, we are owned by our sin. Sin is our slave master. We need to be redeemed. Redemption is 
beautiful word, redemption, is our only hope from slavery to sin. Biblical redemption is further explained to us in Romans chapter 3, and we don't have time to go there this morning, but Romans, the Apostle Paul, is continuing to teach on this doctrine that every single person who has ever lived has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Another way of putting this, the Bible puts it, is that we are spiritually dead. We're separated from God by our spiritual nature. But the great news of the gospel, the great news is that God has done something for us. In Christ, God has justified us. He has saved us. He has declared us righteous in his sight through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, Paul says. So sin is this great debt that we owe to God. It is our slave master. We are dead in our sins. But redemption is this wonderful rescue plan of God to remove the curse of sin from us, to purchase us, to buy our freedom, to redeem us. And so I want to ask you this morning, I want you to truly reflect in your heart. Do you see that you are a sinner? Do you see that you are enslaved to sin? If you do not, if that doesn't bother you, if, if, if it's just something that you ignore, then I ask you this morning to pray and examine yourself. And do this by reading the scriptures. And comparing yourself to the holy God that is found there. And there you will see that his holiness is too bright. His holiness is too wonderful. His holiness is too awesome. And it will shine a bright light on your sin. And show you your need of the gospel. And once you see your sin. Jesus stated that everyone who repents of their sin. Who turns away from themselves and their sin and believes in him, will be saved. Because there is no other way of salvation but through Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that this is an issue we've gotten away from in the church. I'm afraid that too many in the church and too many in the world have lost their way and forgotten the great need that we have of redemption Because we have failed to see our sin, and we have failed to see what a great problem that sin is. We must recapture this biblical teaching about sin. That we are all justly deserving of hell and condemnation because of our sin. That there is no salvation for us without the forgiveness of sin. If you do see that you are a sinner. If you do believe that you are justly deserving God's displeasure, and you do acknowledge it, then take heart. There is good news. There is forgiveness. Redemption has been accomplished. God has done something about the problem. How has redemption been accomplished? How are we redeemed? How can we be set free from our slavery to sin? Look in verse 7. 
we have redemption through his blood. Through Jesus' bloodshed on the cross, we have redemption. The very reason that Jesus came into this world was because of this problem of sin. He came to redeem us. He came to set us free. But why do we talk so much about blood in the church? If you're visiting this morning and you haven't been in a church in a while and you start hearing Christians talk about blood all the time, it's kind of weird, I know. (laughs) Why do we talk so much about blood? It seems very strange to talk about the blood of Jesus, doesn't it? Well, the reason we speak so much about blood is because in the Bible, at the very heart of forgiveness of our sin, blood has to be shed. The Bible teaches that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, if you've read there or familiar with it at all, you see a very bloody, bloody, bloody system of salvation. Because in the Old Testament, animal sacrifices were given for our redemption. In Leviticus, we read that for the life of a flesh is in the blood, and God says, I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your sins, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. And so in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the blood sacrifice of animals was a sign. It was a picture. It was a pale image of the ultimate sacrifice that would one day be given, the final sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice. And that was Jesus' blood shed on the cross, the last blood that would ever have to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so that's why we sing very often here Robert Lowry's song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ's blood shed on the cross has redeemed us from our sin and our bondage to it. His blood was the payment necessary to forgive us of our sins. Our redemption has been accomplished by Christ and Christ alone. God sent his own son to earth to be our redeemer. To be the one saying, I will pay for him. I will buy her out of her slavery. So the scholar B.B. Warfield said, There is no, no one of the titles of Christ which is more precious to Christian hearts than Redeemer. Redeemer is the name specifically of the Christ of the cross. And so the second vow, the second question that's asked in our membership vows. Ask us to affirm this. That yes, that we are sinners. That yes, we believe there's salvation found in no one else but Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of sinners. He is the Redeemer. 
Hold your place there in Ephesians and turn to Hosea. If you turn about the middle of your Bible and take a hard right, you'll find a bunch of minor prophets. And Hosea is the first of the minor prophets right after the book of Daniel. We, had a, we finished a sermon series back in the fall on Hosea. And so I want to take us back there to see this wonderful story, this wonderful illustration of our redemption. In Hosea chapter 3, we pick up in the story of a man named Hosea who was called to be a prophet to Israel and who was called to do something impossible, who was called to do something hard, who was called to demonstrate the gospel by his life. And here is what the Lord asked Hosea to do in chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lexi of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore belong to another man. So I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in the fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. In Hosea 3, this story is the story of the gospel. It's the most beautiful picture of redemption found apart from the cross of Christ. This is what the redeeming love of God looks like, because here Hosea was to be like God. Hosea, there's a woman out there who is completely unfaithful. She is unlovely. She's not worth it in the world's eyes. But she is in slavery. She is in bondage. And so, Jose, I want you to go to the auction this afternoon. And when this unlovely, unfaithful woman comes up, who used to be your wife, who ran off with others, I want you to buy her. I want you to purchase her freedom. And I want you to tell her that she belongs to you and that you will love her and that you will care for her. Is this not what the redeeming love of God looks like? Is it not us up on the auction block? Is it not us who are enslaved to sin, who are in bondage to it? We have no resources, we have no money, we have no way of getting ourselves out of this situation. Yet Jesus goes forward and he says, I will shed my blood. I will sacrifice myself, Father. I will save the redeemed. I will purchase them out of slavery. That is redemption. That is 
to the praise of God's glory. Why did God do this? Why, why did God chose to redeem us by the blood of Jesus Christ? Why didn't he just wipe the slate clean and start over? Look with me again in Ephesians verse 7. Christ redeemed us by his blood because of the riches of his grace. God's grace is so rich, it's so free, it's so awesome. The old theologian Charles Hodge said this about God's rich grace. It's the overflowing abundance of his, his unmerited love, which is inexhaustible in God and freely accessible through Christ. And because of the unmerited, free grace and lavish love of God, He has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. And in verse 8, Paul says that God lavished on us His grace. He He didn't pass out, you know, redemption cards. He didn't say this is good for one free sin. No, He lavished His grace. He gave it freely. He showered us with his love. He has completely covered us with his grace. That is the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. Words can can hardly describe this love. Words can hardly explain this grace of our loving God that he demonstrates for us. That before the foundations of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, they came together. And they covenanted that the elect must be rescued. They must be redeemed from their sin. And so God the Son steps forward and he told the Father, I will do it. I will humble myself. I will become a man, I will give my life, I will shed my blood. I will be the blood sacrifice to redeem my brothers and sisters from their slavery to sin. That is the amazing love of God. That is the redemption that is ours. That is why we sing, and we'll sing here in just a minute, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And so let us live in light of that. Let's live our lives in debt to him because we owe him everything. He paid it all. He redeemed us by his blood. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we, we don't even see at times just how desperate our condition is apart from Christ, how much slavery and bondage there is because of sin. But Lord, we pray for the grace to see our great need, our bondage. But Lord, we also pray for the grace to see 
what an awesome deed you have done to rescue us. How amazing is your grace because we could not buy ourselves out of slavery. We could not do anything for ourselves and what we could not do, you did for us. And so we praise you and thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the redemption that we have through his blood. Through his blood, we are now saved. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.